Um, so I'm really, glad, I'm really glad to hear about your success. That's really good. Um, that uh, one thing, though, this is not um, mine or my technique, but rather this is stuff that's sitting right there in the suttas that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa pointed out. And so I go uh, very carefully by, uh, how to say, all of the details of the practice and the source of the practice and everything comes right out of the suttas. But that concepts, examples, and that sort of stuff comes out of my own experience especially with psychology. And I tend to mix those two things in, but it's all based upon uh, what is right there in the suttas. And what I find mostly with many of the Buddhist teachers is, is that what they are doing is teaching correctly. They're just not teaching completely. How's that? Uh... This was actually an idea of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa uh, uh, in the overall uh, issue of a 10-day retreat. You see, most retreats are done kind of with a beginner in mind. And so when people take a number of retreats, they just take the beginner's course over and over and over again. And that... Um, what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's idea was is uh, to give the students in a retreat um, the whole path and sufficient enough so that they could go off and practice on their own whether they have a retreat again or not because they know what the path is. Now it turns out that that's quite a lot of stuff to dump on people within 10 days. And so uh, what we've done with these video uh, chats through Skype is to bring it back down to the way that it would actually be taught from teacher to student, one-on-one, -on -one, taking the student where they are in the moment with the understanding of the overall practice. And as you probably heard me say, it can... It is so unified that it can be boiled down to just three little words, dukkha, dukkha, naroda, that the Buddha taught that I only teach this one thing. And that uh, while most of, it, most of us see it as kind of like a dial that we would turn down, Really, at any particular moment, it's more like an on-off switch. You can either choose to be in your old bad habits, or you can choose to come out of it. And so I'm glad to hear that you've been practicing choosing to come out of it. Yep. Um, and more importantly than that, I guess it was, uh, I have confidence that it'll be pretty consistent. Like it's uh, uh, within my reach. Before this, uh, I used to get to these states, the joy and stuff, but it wasn't consistent. So I couldn't really, I didn't have the confidence that I'll 
uh, at least know how to get there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But right now it seems like it's pretty consistent um, and it's so consistent that I can get into these states even when I don't really want to. For example, if I'm lying down, I'm trying to sleep, I'll suddenly maybe not as deep as it's during the sit, but it's pretty much the same state of joy and uh, like vibrations over your body and stuff. But that's exactly what the Buddha recommends, and we've got it right there in the suttas. Uh, in that regard, practicing wakefulness. You lay down to go to sleep, but there you are doing that, laying down exactly what you're very good at, at developing, uh, sitting up. But it's hard to sleep then. <laughs> uh, while... While that is true, um, for a while, because mindfulness, actually, when you're really sharp and alert and laying there in bed and really enjoying it and taking deep breaths, yes, that is uh, different from what most people do, which is worry and fret about what they've got to do tomorrow and think that they've got to go to sleep. The only real way that anybody's get going to go to sleep is, is if they're tired. All right. But getting the mind in a good state when you go to sleep is a really good idea. Why? Because otherwise, then uh, what we have is dream states. They call it REM for rapid eye movement. We can see the movements in the body. We can see dogs when they are having dreams. This is not a totally restful state. The Buddha, in fact, talks of it in the sense of a burning by day and smoldering by night, which is what the humans do. But if you can get yourself into, uh, uh, into a state of uh, being free from hindrances and laying there and just enjoying the night, then th- does it really matter? As you as you drift off into sleep, that it takes you five or ten or twenty minutes to go to sleep. No, no, no. This is really pleasant anyway, and that you'll get enough sleep. Yeah. Because like if you were asleep, you'd probably be dreaming anyway, and that's not such good sleep. Yeah, the the number of hours that I need to sleep has reduced over the past week. I just feel far more well-rested without sleeping the same number of hours. I don't know if that's because of this. Right, but right now you don't have the means or the methods or the equipment to measure through the night what quality of sleep you were having. But in fact, in the really, really old days, they had to put someone in a hospital to be able to record that, which means now how is your sleep at home versus just being in a hospital? And so they were not getting really good data. It's only when they could set up the equipment at home that they could really begin to understand the various sleep states to where the Buddha had already experimented with that kind of stuff, that this is an old issue uh, that we're now just uh, putting modern equipment uh, to. But the, but the quality of 
Um, there's, there's actually even recommended posture, which is to lay on the side. They call it the lion's posture or the lion's pose. No doubt you've heard of this. No? Well, it's not the, uh, the, the pose of the sphinx, where the sphinx is up on its elbows. Okay? It's a laying down posture uh, where you're laying on the side with your head propped up either by a pillow or um, part of the monk's robes. The monks would use that. Uh, or you can lay on, on your arm, whatever, like this. But the important thing is, is that if you're sleeping on your back, then your lungs don't get very well filled. And that is also not, not comfortable. For some reason, people who are in a hospital, in fact, are laying on their back so that they can be um, worked on by the, by the medical people, whether it's the best posture for the person or not, because they haven't really learned about that. But with this posture of laying on one side, we, we bend the knees slightly. And then kind of lay one leg over the other. It's a very, very relaxing posture. And one of the things to do then is to check during, during the night to see if you're still laying on your side. And if not, to roll over and get back into it. So this is what you would call bedtime meditation or um, uh, wakey, wakey while sleeping, or while sleeping. That in fact, your quality of sleep goes very high with this. One of the reasons why especially old people feel really tired when they wake up in the morning, other than perhaps they've been doing some sort of drugs or alcohol or something, is because during the night, if they're sleeping in a wrong posture, they're not getting enough air. They're literally starving themselves while they're in bed. That especially is true when one's laying on the back. But even if you're laying on your chest, you're still prohibiting because of the whole weight of the body is now on your lungs. So you need to find a posture somehow or another one way or the other, so that your own, uh, let us say, best terms with gravity, as far as breathing it goes. And so this is worthwhile maintaining through the night, so that it gives you a good quality of, of breathing, or uh, of sleep, because you're breathing well, as well as intentionally doing it. Yeah, I'll try that. I'll try. So you basically stay mindful of your posture and then slowly drift off into sleep. Right. And um, reflect upon how marvelous this is, how, how really great things are, how nice it is to just lay there in the bed and, ah, it's just so nice. Okay. That's the kind of attitude of be, being completely at rest and, and successful, being really, really satisfied. Allow yourself to be in that deep, deep state of satisfaction. I think uh, there's no real need to generate satisfaction, right? As long as you don't 
crave for things to be different than how they are that's the same thing as getting satisfaction right they are the same things well let us dance around the word so that we can get a closer look at it in fact the word that goes back to the poly that i'm discussing uh which is actually mentioned but not picked apart in the anapanasati sutta so we're really close to home when we're talking about uh this idia and idiopada now the idiopada means the basis or the foundations for the power and that the foundations of the power are very basically the same things as the eightfold noble path especially the four items of sati and investigation and um uh, uh putting right effort into it okay and uh sometimes in some systems they talk about confidence also so uh these are the basis of power and the power itself or the powers as they're listed is not magical power but the power of the mind and that satisfaction leads that list but also on that list is an important one to look at just for, for as a foundation is is that we feel safe and secure we're not we're not in any danger or feeling any kind of panic at all nor are we having the kinds of thoughts that would lead to some sort of panic so that we come completely at rest in the sense of safety and security and then the next point would be um looking at it as contentment that we're contented which means we're satisfied now one of the ways of kind of overdoing that is the word satiation and satiation means completely full up an example of that is you go off go out with friends to uh let us say a free buffet barbecue all you want to eat and everybody eats their fill okay on the way home one of the guys in the car says oh why don't we stop at burger king <laughs> all right the answer is nobody wants to stop at burger king think it over did you get enough aren't you already full haven't you already had enough aren't you satiated now so this is the quality that we're looking for is uh this is satisfying or satisfactory because it's it's enough that my my container is full <laughs> and everything else is put into it is just going to overflow anyway that there's no longer a hollow place to be full so uh and we're talking about in this present moment we're not talking about a permanent thing that's more of a concept we're talking about the the actual feeling while you're just laying there in bed and feeling completely satisfied it also has the quality of feeling successful in the sense that you really like this state you like that you can get into it and that you know that you can there's that confidence coming back into it now as a kind of feeling of success and this builds up 
uh, on that issue of confidence more and more. You can see how all this stuff kind of runs and circles around it together. So, uh, but as then our joy increases, it increases in the way of satisfaction and uh, success, the feeling of security and safety and uh, this word contentment, which can also be satiation. Except for the word contentment, they all start with the letter S, and so they should be easy to see member. <laughs> but there is an additional one that goes along with that, and that that one is the one that is almost the key. And the way that it's translated into English is the word wealthy. Wealthy is not a feeling that most people with a lot of money feel. They don't feel wealthy. They may feel rich. They may feel like they can buy people. But if you ask them, do they need and want more money? They say, sure, because they don't feel wealthy yet. So in that regard, wealth doesn't really have anything to do with money, but it does have to do with our attitude. Okay, the attitude, in fact, of a lion, the attitude of I've got all that I need, that my bucket is in, in fact, uh, is full and flowing over. In a way of saying it, there is so much Dharma that there's nothing left to say except just Dhamma. That's when it's flowing all the time. So uh, when we get to that state, it's a process, but only because there's layers of it. The actual feeling you've already had. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just describing this kind of deep inner... Uh, Satisfaction is the word that's used, but you can come up with your own word. You can invent a new word for it. But these are the these are the words that come to us from the Buddhist uh, point, and the word satisfaction is kind of the key point that everything is good in the in the in the way of that satisfaction is, in fact, the opposite of dissatisfaction. And dissatisfaction is, in fact, dukkha, dukkha, and sukha. So by getting ourselves into a state of enjoyable satisfaction, guess what? We're out of dukkha right now. And that's really the whole point of the teaching of the Buddha is figure out how to get out of that state of dukkha and then figure out how to stay in the state that is free from the dukkha, free from the hindrances, including one of the ways to be, uh, uh, to sustain that is by going to sleep while you're in that state, which is a much more healthy way of going to sleep than going to sleep with the ordinary hindered mind, which is going to continue the hindrances after one goes to sleep. 
so the mind stays in that state throughout the sleep if you i'm not going to guarantee anything about how the mind going to stay but uh i would say <clears throat> that we have a better opportunity of being in a good state when we're asleep if we go into sleep in a good state and that if we go into sleep with full of hindrances worries uh, i got to get up in the morning kind of what have i got to do tomorrow kind of thing thoughts then the sleep is not going to be as peaceful yeah i can see that okay that's the whole point is can you see that if you can see it then you begin to practice it when you begin to actually see the benefits of it Yeah, I think I can see that at least in the daily life itself. Uh, th- there has been a significant shift where uh, the technical term would be tanha, but it feels like dukha itself. I don't want, my mind doesn't want any of it. Like as soon as it sees that uh, it's hating something that's happening right now, it just wants to get rid of it. It arises again and again after every few seconds but i think it it's starting to become starting to feel like it's uh, overwhelming it wants none of this tanha craving whatever stuff at all so yeah it's starting it's starting to build that momentum especially because of the meditation sits it's starting to flow into daily life as well that's exactly the point and throughout the day there are many things that you can do that um you have probably heard that the buddha actually spoke of four postures the reclining posture which we've just been speaking about the sitting posture that you have been practicing all along but there is also the walking posture and the standing posture um but Basically, that was about the four postures that were available when you didn't have furniture. Now that we have furniture, there's a whole wide variety of postures that could be mentioned that just simply weren't weren't mentioned because in those days they weren't worth mentioning. But basically the Buddha was trying to cover all of the bases. And so that issue of um posture especially posture changing is a good time to reflect or to wake up or to practice sati so throughout the day um and since you've been already kind of mentioning it I'll go ahead and give this to you uh because you've already gotten good success with the sitting posture and so there should be times in the day that you can bring that back out again several times a day maybe 15 or 20 times a day how will we do that well we're going to use the chair as an anchor or as an aid to sati so whenever you sit down in a chair how many times do you sit down in a chair every day 
just sit or yeah you, you come from a standing position you walk up to a chair and you sit down in it 60 plus times i guess 60 100 all right that means that now we have 60 times a day to practice 60 times a day just to sit down now here's how we're going to do it in the sense that when we sit down in a chair we normally sit down uh with a, a bottom line thought of resting or of taking a load off the feet is the way some people say well we're also going to take this opportunity to take a load off the mind and here's how we're going to do it as we sit down we're, we're going to start taking deep breath and we're going to throw out any and everything that we were setting down for including why we sat down and recognize no right now we're just setting down we're letting go we're dropping it all we're going to come to a momentary state of satisfaction we could even go so far as to call it a little nibbana just to sit and go ah Now when you're good at it you could do that with just an out breath as you sit down. But generally it's best to practice it at least 3 breath cycles. So that you practice over and over and over again come back to that state of satisfaction that we've been talking about. That in fact the Buddha recommends that in the sense of uh developing the skill of going into that state so it becomes a skill of going into that state and so now we've got an exercise to plan to uh to do it you're saying 60 times a day wow if that's 60 times a day if it took 30 seconds to do that how much is that that's uh, 1800 seconds. Yeah, right. That's That's a lot. My math machine broke on me. Let me see if I can put it in order again. If it were one uh if it took 1 minute, 60 times a day would be 60 minutes, which is a full hour. If it takes 30, then that means that it's uh uh only taking half that time, which would be 30 minutes a day. So you can get 30 minutes a day of practice in in 60 half minute cycles. Glad my my math machine started working again. <laughs> so another way that I've been uh, automatically playing around with uh, maintaining this sati is um seems like uh, my mind keeps the breath in background or even in foreground even while talking or while doing something and it seems to work almost an, as an anchor or an indicator for is my mind craving or in dukha right now uh so it's basically the similar concept right you you're bringing you're keeping uh, mindfulness or sati of a physical a bodily function and because of that you also get to know about your mind's 
is it craving is it in dukha is it happy and then you can fix that exactly you you are in fact kind of ahead of me in the sense that the question that questions that you're asking are exactly the questions that would be asked in a full on investigation and so that would be the the right way of looking at it in fact that's one's right view is to be in that kind of an investigation and the more you are in that investigation then the closer you're going to be into the state that we're talking about as you sit down because you have been investigating and you know that the mind is clear because you've been what what we call also the the term is on guard to be on guard for the things that are wholesome and the things that are unwholesome so wow you're <laughs> you're you're really going that's great i i'm glad to hear that you're moving along like this yeah i yeah. think the 6 do transfer pretty well out of the set as well and it's the same thing it's almost like a ongoing meditation if i have breath or the feeling of my feet in awareness uh compared to that i can uh, using that as a reference point seems like i can see that my mind is sort of closing in which is i guess tanha or dukha whatever and then as soon as i see that it seems like it's a hindrance and i just deal with it in the same way i would deal with a hindrance basically seeing that it's not needed at all it's mm-hmm. uh, going to cause me unhappiness and so my mind gets rid of it straight away and that sort of like a real time thing that keeps on happening as long as i maintain mindfulness of the breath or of sitting or of something right right exactly so correctly so so now your job is to start putting that to work throughout the day and so we start to use various anchors okay one of the anchors that i've just given you is the chair another anchor and a very big powerful and important one is our hands to become aware of our hands what our hands are doing in this present moment and how they feel and that uh, in the sutta um the satipatthana sutta it talks about uh using the hands for grasping for reaching for touching um it even mentions uh going to the toilet uh taking a bath cleaning whatever the hands are doing become mindful of what the hands are doing and so why and that helps bring us back to this present moment keeps us in the here now focusing on that part of the body alone helps us to be very much in contact with our body very much in the here now And so this is something um that I give you that I would call it a toy to play with rather than a dedication that this is not something to become dedicated to but just whenever you think about it you become aware of what your hands are doing but with this sitting down now that's a little bit different because we're almost required or forced to think about it because we're actually doing that sitting down. And so that'll start building that whole practice up. 
of, of coming back to the present moment, becoming quite uh, pleased with the situation. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but seems like in Sati Patana or basically the first part of it, mindfulness of these bodily functions, is the point of it A, to build up Sati and B, so that as soon as you notice that, you know what your mind is doing as well and then you can fix it. Like is the point of it to be aware of the third part of Sati Patana, which is, is your mind craving, is it unhappy, why is it unhappy, and you fix it? The, um, you're, you're asking an important question, but that this question actually has um, a process kind of an answer. And uh, the way to start is, is that uh, the breakdown that you were using was body, feeling, uh, mind, and mind objects, the four of the foundations. I think that the Buddha did that only because that had already been very commonly done in India as uh, the four elements of earth, water, fire, and air. And so he just took that as a natural progression. Whether or not they are all equal in weight or not is not important. But it is kind of uh, useful to think about each one of them as having its own unique value its own unique qualities to it, that if we develop uh, sati in relationship to the body, for instance, then that's an enormous benefit for our um, our our ability, for one thing, of just allowing the body to become peaceful. Also, to uh, get in touch with the breathing and uh, all kinds of the things that are associated with mindfulness of body. Uh, one of the ways of talking about it is that the body wakes up. It becomes vibrantly alive um, in regards to perhaps um, when the body is in, when a person's in a normal body state. It's kind of easy for someone to sneak up behind them because they're not paying attention. But if our body awareness is strong, when someone approaches us from behind, we have a feeling that we need to turn around and take a look at. So we can actually develop that through uh, waking up the body and, and having sensations of the body. Now. The same thing is with feelings, and in fact, by being able to wake up the body, which is actually an easier process to do, we now can become alert to deep underlying feelings. Most important would be the uneasiness that comes from fear, that there's just a little bit something not quite right yet. All right, so... Uh, when we're practicing Anapanasati the way that you're uh, thinking about practicing or the way that we're talking about it now is, is that now you can become aware of those tiny little things because they will, in fact, grow to the point of taking you out of a state of satisfaction. So in order to maintain satisfaction, we've got to get pretty well in contact with these feelings that arise. So... Um, so there's more relationships 
between the peeling and the body. Uh, but much of the, um, the emotions that people feel have bodily components. And that the way that we feel oftentimes affects the health of the body. Which means that if we feel good, then the body will feel strong. If we have the attitude, I can do this, then the body is going to respond to that. But if we have the feeling or, or the, the thought pattern that is associated with, wow, that's just too much work. Now, when we get up to do that work, the body actually responds by feeling bad, by feeling heavy, by feeling unable to get up and do the work. So there's many, many things like that. Another one would be how the feelings affect the mind. It affects the mind really strongly when someone is angry. When someone's angry, they can't think very well. So when two people get in, in a fight with each other, they can't maintain the present. They've always got to go dig up something in the past, kind of because it's easy to remember. But meanwhile, there have been many, many famous occasions uh, and situations like debating teams, formal debate societies. You cannot do ad hominem attacks because if you attack the guy personally, that'll get him angry and then he gets to focus on defending himself rather than focused on defending his position. You can see it in uh, wrestling. Uh, if the boxer can get the other boxer angry, then he will uh, start making the mistakes. Same thing is true with karate and whatnot. That's kind of why they try to bluff their way into it, make them afraid before the fight starts, because you can get your opponent riled or upset or afraid of anything, then you can take advantage of him. So this is well-known stuff. I mean, people do it just naturally. But now we're really pointing out, yes, your, your um, feeling system will affect your body and it will affect your mind. But the mind also has an effect upon the body. I see you, Myra. Aha, I can gladden it so I can gladden the mind, which will gladden the feelings and relax the body. And so they work together in this way. Yes. Uh, so uh, when we begin to see in that relationship how they work together, then we can uh, appreciate why it's useful to pay attention to each one of the individual parts to find out what's going on with that. That in fact, in the Anapanasati Sutta, step number five, six, seven, eight. Step number eight is about looking at uh, the mental conditioners, which is in fact the feelings, to see how the feelings condition the mind. Um, the uh, step before that, though, is the ability to see. Uh, this conditioning of feelings as they arise so that we can begin to control them so that you can then begin to feel the way that you want to feel. And now that you've gotten to the point that you can begin to feel the way that you want to feel, now we're going to work on 
having that happen more and more often so that you can begin to feel the way that you want to feel quite often throughout the day. Literally going in the direction of every time you remember. Every time you remember, you can pop right out of that hindrance and right into a state of well-being. Yeah, that's a good practice. I'll, I'll uh, start doing that. Like, at least while sitting and while doing something with my hands, just maintaining that mindfulness. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now we've got something to play with this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, um, coming back to the sits, I had three questions regarding my current sits. Uh, one of them is, um, like, where, where should I focus uh, once I start getting into these um, these joyous states and so on? Because, yeah, that's somewhat confusing. Should I stick with the breath or should I focus on the feeling of pleasure and happiness that's arising? Because it seems like if I accidentally... The answer is yes and both that inside of every breath, there is a lot of time, especially now that the breathing is deep and getting long, that there's quite a lot of time to happen between the in and the out breath. And so the way that we look at it then, and the way that it's stated in the suttas, is all you need to do is note one time during the in breath that this is a long in breath, and to note one time during the out breath that this is a long out breath. The rest of the time during that breath is there's a lot of room for other things. And one of them is, is for hindrance to come back in and rob you of the remi- remembering the next thought. All right. So um, once we get into a state of joy and satisfaction, basically now the job is to learn to maintain it. That's the new job. First job is getting into it. The second job is to learn to maintain it. How are we going to maintain it? By preventing anything that would take us out of it from happening. So now we're going to guard the mind to make sure only wholesome thoughts come in and unwholesome thoughts are not allowed. This is the basic way that we begin to do it. So in fact, what you're doing is, is that you're only going to let a few select thoughts in. And most of the herd is not going to be allowed in because they might be dangerous. Thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future, all of that kind of stuff. We begin to inspect every thought to make sure that it passes muster. Otherwise, it gets that, Aha, I see you, Myra, and out you go. And we want to catch it so quickly that it doesn't actually rob us of the state of satisfaction that we're in. And that's how we learn to maintain it. So I guess the question um, is more about the amplitude of the happiness. Because I've, what I've practiced this past okay. week was maintaining it, and I've been able to maintain it for like 45 minutes consistently. And it seems like the happiness goes through phases as well, where for the first 15 minutes, it's pretty high and there's a lot of vibration, then goes down to a bit more 
just being content and being like having a little buddha smile and then it goes into just quietness like nothing's happening feels like i'm drowning in water and i don't need to do anything but yeah. but the amplitude seems to change depending on whether i'm focusing on just the breath and the body or if i'm focusing on the emotion or the pleasure if i focus on the pleasure the amplitude rises up so what should i be focusing on not from a point of view of length of maintaining the joy but from a point of view of how deep the concentration is the answer to that is to take it laterally rather than the way that you're looking at it and say that your job here is to do an investigation including the investigation of all of these states which means that in fact one of them is not better than the other because they are all free from dukkha they all pass the muster but they all still need to be investigated and that you're actually beginning to learn to could do that this is good this is very good that you can learn to uh, to control the intensity of it but normally what we tell students is don't we too worried about the intensity this the just maintaining it is the goal for a while but the intensity will also vary depending upon conditions well now you've got that variance and you can start to investigate the conditions but not but one is not better than the other so you're asking me which the answer is investigation of all of it is the best way of doing it to figure out how can you get it up how can you get it peaceful how can you do this because the more you are able to practice and investigate the more control over it you'll gain should i be looking to get into a flow state like so once or- like you're already in a flow state <laughs> flow state uh isn't so strong that i cannot focus on anything else either uh it's it's more like if i want to i can stick with the breath forever my thoughts start to want to keep your awareness open you don't want to get sucked down a rabbit hole all right and the way that i'm also referring to it uh that's not so derogatory is is that the first jhana is what we're talking about here and getting too focused on something is the higher jhanas we don't want to get too focused we want to be open not closed we're looking for on a camera a fish eye lens not a telephoto lens we want it to be open we want to be able to get part of the breath and watch that we want to get to the feeling we want to be able to watch how the mind works we want to investigate these various states of uh sukha but isn't the first jhana a lot more unstable for this investigation and for no. me personally no that- no this is exactly what the first jhana is if it's too stable you can't do the investigation that's like putting the camera in a in a box or something it can't see very well you can experience but there's no way of learning anything we need to be able to have the mind working so that we can make sense out of what we're what's happening 
which one is the first jhana i see there is one where, uh, the joy rises suddenly and it almost feels very strong but for me uh, that joy wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute let's talk about what the factors of first jhana is because intensity of feeling is not a derivative at the boundaries of jhanas that the intensities will be high in one case and then high in the other case for different reasons so don't look at for uh the basically the better way of doing it is instead of thinking that you know what's going to happen continue to investigate so you, when i use the word first jhana you already brought in your understanding of first jhana which now clouded the issue i'm sorry i said anything <laughs> But now that I mentioned it, we got to go for it. All right. The first quality of the first jhana is, is that the mind is in this moment free from hindrances. We got that free from hindrance by, aha, uh-huh, I see you, and disassociated and separated ourselves from the hindrances and threw them out. Also, that gladdening the mind occurs. And that gladdening of the mind then gets us set for the feeling of satisfaction. When we have that, and we also have the attitude of success, that's what gives rise to the quality that's called pity, which is the joy or the satisfaction of the success of that we've gotten rid of the hindrances. We can do that. We can actually begin to control the mind. And later on, we begin to gain great joy in the fact that we can control the mind. It's really based in this quality of success. And with that uh, feeling of pity comes the sukha, the opposite of the uh, dukkha, which means satisfaction. Satisfaction comes with success of a job well done. And at this moment, the job that needed to be done has been done. The war was fought. The war was won. All right. What was the war? Getting the mind free from hindrances. And the better we practice at it, the easier that task is and the more joy we can take over the fact that we could do this fairly successfully often. So, which so one pity? this is now what we have. We have pity, we have sukha, and we have separation from the hindrances. These are three factors of the first jhana. What's your question? Uh, like, which one's the pity, which one's the sukha? I see two emotions. One is this sort of almost excited joy, which is like it builds up, but it goes down within a few seconds, and then it's more like a flowy in a swimming pool. You could say then that uh, one one way to help you understand it, you could say that that uplifting joy is the pity. And then that satisfaction is the sukha. And it is, it's expressed in the description of the first jhana and in the Anapanasati in that order. Yeah, but so, there is a deep reference or a connection between uh, pity and sukha to the point that one could be the su- a substitution for the other. That in fact the word pity is used and translated as joy 
in the uh, seven factors of enlightenment, but, but in fact, it's really talking about both of them joined together, Pitti and Sukha. Um, so these are the two factors that arise because of the, um, um, the freedom from the hindrances, uh, seclusion from the hindrances is the way that it's normally described. Now, the next point is, is that if we're taking Anapanasati seriously and taking a few deep breaths, we've now gotten the frontal cortex going, which in that regard would mean what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says is a mind fit for work, which now means we're adding two new factors beside the first three, and that is a mind that we can apply to something. In other words, we can think the thoughts we want to think. And we can keep thinking the thoughts that we want to think. Applied and sustained thought now gives exactly the same reference in in the description of the first jhana to look at sustaining the sukha that they're talking about in the Anapanasati Sutta. The way that we maintain the sukha is by guarding the mind to make sure that unwholesome thoughts don't come back in to rob us. So now look at it. We're doing body, we're doing breathing, we're watching the feelings, we're getting the feelings very excited in one case, and then we're getting a very settled down, while at the same time, we're watching the content of the mind. So in a very, very short loop, we're looking at the whole of the Satipatthana. With each breath, in and out breath, you pretty much Looking everywhere. The whole show. Mm-hmm. And doesn't pity just die out after 20, 25 minutes on its own? Like the vibrations, whatever, tingly sensations throughout the body. I don't know. I've never sat down with a stopwatch. <laughs> with, with me, it seems like the excitement dies down, but the sukha remains. And then it becomes a lot more deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's just yes, so- that's, that's, the no- that's the normal process. But what would that mean I'm out of the first jhana because there is no pity now? Should I try to get it no, back? No, no. In fact, the, no, no, not, not at all. Because the pity is, in fact, the vehicle for the sukha. And that you can get this, you can get the pity back again fairly easy if you want it. Uh, the important point is the satisfaction of the job well done. The satisfaction of doing a good job and making the mind fit for work. So now we're going to apply the mind on the Satipatthana, but most especially on the mind's thought process to make sure that any of the thoughts that we have are not going to pull us out of this state of sukha. So the kind of thoughts that we can have in that state would be, oh, wow, this is so nice. Oh, I like this. Oh, what a good breath this is. Ah, oh, I can feel the wind on the arm or pulling the covers over the head. Oh, that feels so good. Okay, so it's all talk about this present moment and our experience of this present moment. Are the right kind of thoughts 
to start with so that we can get into that state of feeling really good and talking to ourselves about how good this state really is. So these are the kind of thoughts that we would want to have. Now, the kind of thoughts that we don't want to have are the kind of thoughts that are going to pull us out of this. And boy, is that a long list of stuff. Like beginning to want something. Or beginning to uh, 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 think about things that happened in the past, like what happened during the day. Or think about thoughts about what has to be done tomorrow. Or any of those kind of thoughts would be the kind of thoughts that would be on our list of unwholesome thoughts. And therefore, as soon as we figure that out, we want to throw that, that thought away, even if that thought has already pulled us out of sukha. At whatever point that we catch it, that's sati. Thank you, thank you, Sati, for coming back and saving my mind from that thought. <laughs> but um, so this leads me to a final question that I had. Uh, then how how am I supposed to do these insight or whatever practices discernment if I shouldn't allow craving and stuff to arise? Because uh, what I really want to focus on is how does the craving arise? What are the signs of it? And what leads to that going away? All but right. How do here's, I here's the answer to that. Yes, we will do that soon enough. But it is very, very difficult to have uh, insight and wisdom into, uh, let us say, a particular situation if we are caught in the feelings of that situation. We must be in a state of satisfaction so that when that stuff arises, we can see it clearly rather than jumping in it. Yeah. That's the answer, is we want to get well-schooled on being able to get the mind into a state of satisfaction and keep it there by keeping the hindrances away. Later, we'll start to look at a deeper way of talking about this, which is what is worthy of our attention now that we're able to manage and control our attention in the first jhana? What is it that's worthy of attention? The first answer is this is dukkha. So what that means is when something comes up, we can label that's dukkha. Uh -huh, I see you, Myra. Now we're back in the loop, but it's the same thing. Now you can see it and recognize I don't want anything to do with it. That's the insight right there, is recognizing that dukkha. Now, here's the point, and that is, is that the dukkha is going to get more and more subtle. It's going to play in runs with you. It's going to make you think you've got it covered, when in fact all you've done is taken the scab off a wound. Okay? So there's, there's a lot of depth to it. But that investigation can only really be done when the mind is really fit for work. That's the reason why psychotherapy generally doesn't work is because the psychotherapy's uh, delving in mind uh, archaeology is not done with a mind that was fit for work. So they generally make a big mess out of it. So to a certain extent, once you get your mind very calm, you only have sukha, 
uh, you can maintain it for like almost forever if you really wanted to or for a lot of minutes or half an hour so on at that point do you in a controlled manner do you allow these uh, unwholesome stuff to emerge so that you can sort of note that it's happening and it's dukkha and it no no i would say instead at that level would be can you get up stand up and maintain that position can you turn around and walk out of the room with that condition how far can you walk away before you lose that samadhi or that um uh state of uh of satisfaction or the state of peace in other words how long after you get up before it uh before you lose control over it it will generally happen the first time someone says something to you and then bang and you've lost it but this is in fact you're asking that question and um what were what i just mentioned there fits directly into getting back into that condition every time you sit down in a chair so that you're spending more and more time during your day so then rather than looking for exalted states you're looking for getting into a state that's just fine and just dandy and just good enough and you can maintain that without getting stuck back into suffering and wanting things like exalted states uh but how does that tie into the final the final four steps of anapanasati the ones that people say are related to insight practices we will do that absolutely i just mentioned that we would yes we will we will investigate anicca but in fact if you think about it you're already investigating anicca yeah you already are seeing it the mind gets stable the mind gets rusty the mind gets stable the mind gets active the mind gets stable what is that that's just anicca everything right and yes we will do anicca dukkha anatta and we will do the trivokana and uh also relate that to exactly how it works with the tetrad in the anapanasati sutta versus the fourth tetrad that's in the satipatthana sutta because they're slightly different but they're just different ways of looking at the same thing but yes this is definitely part of the practice but it is always best done when the mind is fit for practice when the mind is fit for work So that's what we're working on now is get, getting the mind fit for work and keeping it fit for work. And so, I congratulate you for the progress that you're making on that. Thank you. But that's the answer to your question. You ain't uh, here's a, here's another way of answering your question. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> That's my favorite Buddhist joke. That a joke. Are there layers to it? Yes, there are layers to it because you ain't seen nothing means you have not understood emptiness or you have not seen sunyatata. You ain't seen nothing which means you're still seeing things. <laughs> But it's said in the other way of saying that you're you haven't seen something that there, there is. 
And what I'm actually saying is, no, you're still seeing things that don't exist. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> uh, should I be? So the way to get the mind of it seems to be before doing these practices, inside practices, it seems to be getting it really tranquil and getting it really concentrated so that it does not get into the hindrances. One way of that would be increasing the time of the sit. Would another way be increasing the intensity of the No, jhana? no, no. The frequency. That's what we want to intensify. Intensify the frequency. Every time you sit down in a chair, then you can expand it to every time you move your hands. Then you can continue to focus on the breath. Can I keep watching the breath while I'm doing whatever I'm doing? How often do can I come back to the breath? They say that an individual, and this is most people, is about 14,000 breaths a minute a day. I would say that offhand, a good meditators are down well under 10,000, probably down to about five. But even at that rate, 5,000 breaths a day, how many of them are you going to be mindful of? Small bit. But yeah, even if it's 10, 20%, that's still a lot. Yeah, we're, we're improving. That's the whole point. And the answer to that uh, question is how many breaths a day can you be, you can, uh, be aware of? The answer is everyone I think of. Everyone that I can remember. Yeah. And so that's the way that we're practicing is the frequency, not the intensity or the duration. Those were the two questions that you ask. Yeah. And the answer is frequency over and over and over again. It's always a new now. Because yeah. frequency is tied in with sati and that's what's needed to be really strong. Right. Exactly. Excellent. These yeah. are really good questions you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, cool. What should be the next step? Maintaining sati outside of the sit, right? Yes. Using the frequency. Practicing it throughout the day. Yeah. Does breath uh, work as a good anchor because seems like it's pretty natural for me now just being with the breath throughout everything make special sure when you sit down in a chair that you're doing it full on three four five ten breaths take some time to do that okay so that you wind up with 30 minutes a day of actual anapanasati 60 times sitting down. That would be the way that I would uh, do it. In that regard, I would add intensity. But it's not so much of a, uh, uh, um, it's not so much of intensity as it is making sure that you're covering all of the bases, which means gathering all the, all the jhana factors together. Of getting the hindrances out, getting your state into a self of satisfaction, taking a few deep breaths there. And once you get into a good feeling state of satisfaction and you're completely cooled down, only then will you turn to the keyboard or whatever reason that you sat down for, including a meal. 
So this could be almost a way of doing a silent prayer in, before you eat a meal. Think of it like that, of getting yourself really, really ready for whatever you're about to do. 60 times a day, woo, that's a lot of sati. <laughs> and maintaining these jhana factors uh, also includes paying attention to the jhana factors, uh, for example, pity and uh, sukha, so, not just the breath, because that'll sort of get rid of them. Right. Make sure that you're looking at how you feel, and how you feel is marvelous. A winner. A champion. The emotional component of it as well. Right, exactly. Cool. Uh, I'll get back to you then. Let me start practicing. <laughs> this has been great. I've enjoyed this. Thank you. We'll nope. see you later. Thank you. <laughs>